The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co. established 1977 have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. What do I call you, Gary or Bendy? Oh, mate, I don't know. My name's Gary. Um, the nickname Bendy came from years ago, actually, when I joined the police. I rocked up at my first police station, very, very nervous, um, late 80s, and one of the guys who was there was a big, scary copper who looked like a bikey, he had tattoos around his neck and everything, a broad Yorkshire accent. And I rocked up with my shiny boots, and he said, what's your name? I said, oh, I'm Gary, Gary Benzies. And he said, okay, what do you do? I said, what do you mean? I'm a new police officer. And he said, no, 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 everyone does something. What do you do? I went, oh, okay. And at the time I did Taekwondo quite religiously. It was one of my things back in the day. And I said, I can do this. And I did the splits. And he went, you're Bendy Benzies. And it just stuck. So a lot of the people throughout my career just knew me as Bendy. They probably didn't even know my real name. So yeah, it's just stuck. So I don't care. So Bendy's good with me, Pete. Bendy, Gary, legend, truth seeker, truth speaker, brother, this has been a long time coming and I couldn't imagine um, a better time to have you on the podcast than right now, right here. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being you over the course of our, our relationship and friendship. I think we met maybe, what was it, six, seven, eight? years ago it's probably eight now yeah it flies by doesn't it yeah and let's give a little context to this um this friendship and this relationship and how it came to be and, and i might hand it over to you to take us through through the journey of bendy from police officer to 
to where you are now and um and and how our paths crossed over to you brother okay thank you all right so it's, it's always a bit difficult to, to sort of you know where do i start so i came from um a, a really regular Enid Blyton type family in the in the United Kingdom in the, the the southern counties in Kent. Um, it was idyllic. Dad was a copper. Mum was what we call a dinner lady, where they made the school dinners, the English called lunch dinner. So she was a she was a very very good cook and used to cooking for about three hundred people. So I had that sort of background, and um, I had an idyllic childhood growing up in the sixties and seventies. Joined the Coppers, um, 17th September 1989, and followed it. Why? Why did you join the Coppers? Well, it's a long story. At, at the time, Pete, I was, I was really into my rock music. I was in bands. I've always played guitar. I was always in bands. And um, I was a, a self-employed freelance photographer for the NME. So I took photographs and charged them for, for the New Musical Express, and that's what I did. I got into gigs free, really. That's what I did. And, and then I worked for Canon Photographic, um, and then... Long story short, needed a job where um, I had some stability and didn't know what to do. Well, and the old man was a copper. And I thought, well, I'll do that for a little while until I know what I want to do when I grow up. And I joined and then 32 years later, here I am. So, um, yeah. So why did I join? The I don't know. I never had a vocation to join it. If I'm honest, I just saw it as a relatively well-paid job with shift work, which allowed me to have a lot of free time. Um, and I just fell in it really yeah just fell into it hmm. uh, my mum's just uh rocked in come over here mum and say hello to garrett you're you're going to be on the podcast but uh just come and say hello to bendy <laughs> hey joy <laughs> how are you yes, may I've got a... <laughs> good how to see are you? you very well thank you how are you you're looking radiant <laughs> as always <laughs> i watched tell me my watch i watched I read your thing every time you put something on. Oh, bless you. Bless you. Thanks for being one of our followers. It's uh, what I'm was a big follower. Love. Oh, thanks, Joyce. Great to see you. <laughs> you're looking wonderful. <laughs> I've just walked in from the shops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you're looking fantastic. Anyway, see you later. Thanks, Mum. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, I bet. So I bet. I'm, I'm at Mum's at the moment, and uh, I mentioned that... Um, we were recording as she goes, oh, tell him I love him. And, uh, oh, and uh, she she, follow, she follows everything you do. So sorry to it for the interruption, but uh, I'm going to, fantastic. I'll, I'll put myself back onto mute and um, let you continue your story. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll fast forward. So I joined the coppers, as you know, when you, when you join the police and things like that, you do work under lots of stress, depending on what you do. Um, you work shift work. Um, I'd always had gut issues. But I was, I was a typical copper. You know, I had a bottle of scotch in my drawer. You know, we had, we'd go to a suicide or a really horrible death. And the first thing you do is you'll go to the pub and get pissed and get over it and suck it up. And that's how we dealt with it. We, we, we had sick humour. We, we had different, different typical early 90s coping strategies. There was no talk about welfare or counselling or anything back in the day. You sucked it up. You were either, you either made it or you didn't. So that's how I learned to deal with stuff. And... Possibly over the years, I drank too much. Over the years, eventually, my diet really was lacking because shift work, because there's only certain things open. You never prepare because you're always running on empty because you're tired with night shifts and stuff. And eventually, um, what happened was um, I met the girl and I met Mel, my wife, who is my driving force. She is my best friend. And she told me when we first met, she said to me, Listen, I've lived in Australia. She used to live in uh, Maroubra with her brother for, for, for just over a year when she was 17. 
And she said, when we first met, she said, I've got to be honest with you, I want to live in Australia. And I was thinking, well, there's no way I want to go to that fly infested desert place. I had no idea all the, the pommy preconceptions of what Australia was like. So we, we actually nearly split up thinking it wasn't worth cementing foundations in that relationship. If she, I didn't want to tie her down and cut her dreams off. But I loved England. I loved pubs. I loved um, cold, frosty mornings and Christmas in the cold and all that and my soccer and all those things back in the day. So anyway, she convinced me to come on a holiday. We flew into Brisbane. We saw some friends in the Sunshine Coast. We drove down to Blue Mountains where her older brother Derek lives. And we then drove down to Melbourne where her brother Tony lived at the time. And I started a love affair with Australia. So we flew back and we just decided we were going to live there. But at the time, Mel worked in a bank and I was a copper and Australia didn't want those skills. We had no, I wasn't a doctor or a bricklayer. I didn't have the, the foundation for skills that I wanted. So Mel decided to do a degree and which would qualify her as a, at the time, a chartered librarian, but she took a different path. And then long story short, um, South Australia Police and Western Australia Police then said, we want pommy coppers, come and join us. They were hemorrhaging people, losing people over here. So I applied for both, got a job offer and uh, came over here in February 2008 uh, and joined Western Australia Police. So that's how I got here. Um, so Mel, you owe me because I got the visa um, because I just beat it to it. She went into teaching in the end. Um, and then from then on, that's where maybe I was a victim of my own success, Pete, because all of a sudden we'd been living on one wage in the UK, living fairly comfortably, but we came here and now we're living on two wages, much better paid, bigger homes, sunshine. My bar was well stocked. Uh, the coppers got free mappers or half price mappers. And, and, and I just I just fell into this social, it was, it was a good, good thing in some ways, in as much as we were welcomed by everyone. It was a fantastic place to be. Um, I was really enjoying the job. I was doing less work for double the money. Um, but, you know, we lived on sausage rolls. Aussies loved their mornos. We you know we had mornos every other day. I'd stop at McDonald's on the way to get a coffee and have them hash brown on the side slowly and surely I put weight on and I just laughed about it as middle-aged spread I ordered a new uniform um I was having toilet issues shall we talk about shall we say about it yeah let's call it toilet issues yeah, my, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can you can be as explicit as you like okay. you can well, swear you can do whatever you like this <laughs> I've said this in front of thousands of people so I have I have no pride anymore but um, yeah, I was, I was suffering with diarrhea and it got worse and worse and worse. And it was urgent. I could be mid-conversation and I'm not listening to the person. I'm thinking, fuck it, where is the nearest toilet? I'm going to have to leg it, literally run in a moment. And the number of times I'd say, I, I'd feign that my phone was vibrating. Sorry, got to take this by and I would just be running. Um, and it got worse and worse and worse. And then I started to get blood in my stools and I was really ballooning in weight. And... I did what every self-respecting Anglo-Saxon male does and um, I drank more and I ate more shit and I hid the thing and I didn't go to doctors and just thought it would go away. I mean, at the time I thought I might have had cancer of some sort, um, but I just tried to just carry on, just did the thing. But eventually um, it got so bad that Mel convinced me to go and see a doctor and they referred me for a gastroenterologist, had a colonoscopy and got a diagnosis of Crohn's disease. And explain, explain what yeah. Crohn's is. Okay. Define, define it. 
So let's say uh, Crohn's disease is a, an IBD, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. It can affect you anywhere from literally your throat to your anus, anywhere in that digestive tract. Um, and it's basically, think of it as everything's down to inflammation. So it's inflammation of my, of my tract. Um, mine was in the ileum or ileum, depending on where you come from in the world and your pronunciation. So it's in the right, right at the bottom um, of, of the tract. And imagine that your gut, if you like, or your digestive tract is, is gravel rash. That's how I sort of use the analogy. And, it, and it's constantly being, the scabs being constantly reopened and you're never healing. So, yeah, constantly you're in, you're, you're in distress. And, of course, add to that alcohol, caffeine, other things in your food, your environment, stuff you're putting on your skin, your body's absorbing like a sponge, all of those things. And it's just a recipe for disaster. But, of course, I didn't understand all that. And I was just, I was just a normal, beer-swilling Aussie bloke who loved the football, or British bloke who became an Aussie who loved the, the AFL. So it's like... Irritable bowel system, uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. A lot of people suffer with that sort of thing on steroids. I suppose it's it's just extreme. I was running to the toilet while trying to work, probably 20, 25 times a day, and literally just making it. And sometimes not making it. Sometimes having to go home sick. Sometimes having to jump out of an unmarked police car in a paddock and then go home. Wow. So dignity was was pretty good. I mean, holidays stopped. Um, I couldn't even make it to the airport sometimes, let alone let alone getting on a plane and waiting for that seatbelt light to go off and then queuing at the back to the toilet politely. I'd be in a fight. I'd be like punching people to get to the toilet. So all holidays. There was a period in my life probably of about four years when it was at its worst, and I just became a recluse. So if anyone invited me to their home for a barbecue, I, I just wouldn't go because the, last thing, the first thing I'd be doing is sitting on their shitter all night and everyone would be saying, where's Bendy? Um, and it's, I think it's one of the lowest things. Um, it's one of those things that, um, how can I put it? Dogs don't mess in their own basket. I had no control over that sometimes. And it was really, really debilitating. Um, and, and it, it plays havoc with your relationships because I became really reclusive, really moody, really down, just about coping. So if ever anyone out there who, who has got those things, I truly believe now that you can make, all of us can make significant progress in this if we adopt different lifestyle approaches. And that's what I'd love to talk about today. Yes, please. So how did you, um, how did you go about? Um, Where did we get here? How did solution. Get here? Yeah. yeah. I got fucking angry, Pete. What happened? I went to see my gastroenterologist. And one day, and, and I'd, I'd been doctor shopping. I'd go to see different doctors and say, what do I do? How can I fix this? I've got a name for it now. The bastard's got a name. So if it's got a name, I must be able to fight it. So I, I almost thought it was good having the diagnosis. So, because I thought they'd all know. They've got, they got stethoscopes and white coats and everything. They must know the answers. But I, I slowly began to realize there are two groups of people that I formerly had a lot of respect for. And this is not all of them because there's some good ones out there. So please don't think I'm doctor bashing or pilot bashing. But I realized that airline pilots were glorified bus drivers. They still had domestics. They still took drugs. They still had alcohol. They still, and we put our trust and faith in them. And I realized doctors were the same. And a lot of them certainly with my condition were winging it. And they didn't really have the answers. And it's not necessarily their fault. But some of them pretended that they did. And that's where I got pissed. So 
I went to see my gastroenterologist one day, almost in tears, just at the end of my tether saying, what can I do? And he banged his fist on, on the table and said, Gary, you, you've got to do suck this up. This is as good as it gets. And as good as it gets, my future was looking forward to surgery, having some of my gut removed where it's so inflamed. And then they just put the piping back together and eventually take lots out and I have a, a colostomy bag. And that was my future. And at one stage, I wanted a colostomy bag because if I had that, I had control over my bowel. I could fly. I could do things. I could probably play sport. I almost opted into it. But um, long story short, he just said, take the medication. And his actual words are, eat the burger, drink the beer. This is as good as it gets. So I walked out, I, I bit my lip, I walked out of the office, I went home, again, almost in tears, and that's when I just got pissed and I just started to research and I looked up cure Crohn's disease. People, how many people out there have had Crohn's disease and had a successful outcome? And initially I came across a lady called Megan Telpner, and Megan's got Crohn's and she's a Canadian lady. And I read her story, Pete, and I was, I think I'd finished uh, an early what, what we call an afternoon shift did so I'd finished about 2 a.m in the morning came in did my usual big scotch sat on the computer and was just trying to wind down from the shift and all the stress you have before I went to sleep and found Megan Telpner and no word of a lie her story was the same as mine the doctors had told her take the medication eat the burger drink the beer. you know it's just the same so I started to research health and nutrition and what I could do. And, and I fell upon taking things out of my diet, removing some things that were inflammatory. Now, in those days, I had no idea about what I'm talking about now. So I thought I, I can do, I can, I have to do things all or nothing. I'm one of those people that just goes for it. So I had to suddenly think or, 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 or try and think how I can do this to get better really quickly. That was my motivation. So I removed grains, so all gluten, and sugar two things now when i coach now that's the thing i tell people to do first let's just take two things out you can do this piece of this but of course by default you know and i know that that's taking out all takeaway food all processed food um, everything inflammatory everything's got gluten in it everything's got sugar in it so by default what am i eating fish meat eggs seeds nuts vegetables fruits basically i'm back to eating parent uh, food that my great-grandparents would have eaten and within 14 days, I reckon I'd lost, I think going back now, I'd lost about, because I was touching 100 kilos at one stage, and then I lost a bit through just stopping the booze a bit. And just, but I think at the time when I really started this, I was around about sitting about just over 90, and I lost about five kilos in 14 days. Now, that wasn't the main thing for me. I was feeling a bit better losing the weight because my knees weren't hurting so much. I had joint pain and everything. I just felt old. And... What happened then was I reckon my symptoms probably subsided about 75% in a, in a couple of weeks. So I just pushed on. So I found Lauren Corday. I started looking at um, Professor Lauren Corday's work with the paleo diet. I found different things. I found you. I found all the things you'd done. I found the fact that I, I read your story and I found that you'd had some issues, you know, working in, uh, same thing, coppers, chef under stress, shift work, working 24-7 under immense pressure and you're, you know, you're subject to maybe abusing substances that you probably wouldn't have done normally and a lot of it goes on, especially in the police force. And I know it does. I've got friends that are chefs and stuff because they're working under a lot of stress. And, and I, I saw your story and I thought, well, what, 
what the fuck is paleo? What is this paleo thing? That's where I really honed in initially. And I learned that that's pretty much what I'd been doing. So I then started to really go hardcore. So the dairy went, the caffeine went. I read, um, I was introduced to Dr. Libby Weaver and it just went into her stuff. And she was saying about caffeine being a liver loader. And the, the penny dropped. And I thought, I knew I had to cure my inflammation. Well, the more things I took out of my diet, the more I was eating good things, the better I felt. And then, hey, how I started sleeping better. So, and a long story short, that began an eight-year journey of um, turning the television off and being a, a nutrition and health geek and researching every PubMed paper there is and every book. I, my library here is extensive. The main thing that started things off for me as, as how we've come into what we do nowadays is obviously Mel's support. Mel's always understood this and she's always been a bit of a hippie chick. And she, she used to tell me all the time, you've got to stop eating shit. You've got to stop drinking. You're doing, and I was, I was like, well, the doctors told me I can eat what I fucking like. It's not going to make any difference. So how do you know? They've got a stethoscope. So I started to have faith in myself and started to get a lot better. And then I ordered a new uniform, size down. Then new uniform, size down. And every, then everyone started commenting on, oh my God, how look at you. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm just eating healthy shit, really. I'm just not doing anything. I'm just sleeping well. I'm going to bed at eight o'clock at night. I'm waking up at five. I've read about this guy, mad guy called Jack Cruises, a neurosurgeon. And he's telling me about red light hitting my retinas and it sends off a cortisol response. And, and I turn all the lights off at night and I wear these blue blockers and, and now melatonin's being released and I can go to sleep at night. And, and hey, did you know that if you stop wearing sunglasses, it helps your body to release melanin, which helps you tan, which, and you don't burn and your body works. And I learned all these things. And that's when we, we had this jigsaw. So long story short, I posted my story on your Paleo Way tribe when it was at its peak. You had this thing, Facebook group. And I just was fairly proud of myself, to be honest. And I just thought, hi, guys. Just thought to let you know, if I can do it, anyone can. Here's my story. Fact to thin, healthy, uh, unhealthy to healthy. Because my Crohn's had just stopped, literally stopped. I came off the medication, go back to that in a sec. And the story went viral. And the only reason it went viral, I think, looking back now, is because 90% probably of the followers that you had on that page at that given time were women, because women are much more prone to talking about their bowel habits and their periods, and their, 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 they're more communal in how much they talk about their health. And I was probably one of the first guys to say, hi, I know what it feels like to shit yourself outside Subiaco Oval when Fremantle have just had one rare win, when, and I've got my 10-year-old son and I need to get home on the train. And because I'd opened up like that and there was a happy ending, I think people jumped on it because I was a bloke. So it went viral. And from that, Mel and I decided, well, if my story helps a few people, wouldn't it be good to help more? So back in the day, we, we were told by so many people how crazy we were. And now you're a nutter because you only eat organic food and you have grass-fed meats and, you know, you're quite... I'd go to parties and barbecues and I'd bring my own food or just be, be polite and just say, no, I don't do that anymore and don't drink alcohol. But so people thought we were nutters. So we, we started off the Paleo Nutter page and it was a bit self-deprecating. And I remember you back in the day said, be careful because people... And they have used it against us, but, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity too. It was good for us in lots of ways. 
Um, and we've evolved now. We now call ourselves Slice of Life because we embrace all of whole foods and there's different approaches to nutrition and health, as we all know, and they work differently around the world. Um, so we've evolved, but that's how it all started. And our blog just went nuts. And we did it all at home. Mel was the, we had no computer gurus. We were like putting it together, the website and everything. And, and, and it's just evolved. So from there on, um, I did the Mark Sisson's Primal Health Coach course, which I found absolutely amazing. And I did that in 2017. I've just done my, my exam renewal for this year. So for the next two years. Um, and that's been, that's been awesome learning about taking yourself out of the Dietitians Association of, Association of Australia type approach to dietary health and looking into things differently can, can, as you know, can massively affect yours and the health of those around you. Congratulations, my friend. Thank how, you. How, how did it feel when you had the solution or the answer? Because so many people get they go through the grieving process of, you know, of anger is one of the things that they can they can get stuck on because they're like, fuck, this was so easy. I had to go through 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years of my life to work out that all I had to do fundamentally was remove one or two things from my diet and my I'll use the analogy for the car. My car could run smoothly. My body could run smoothly. Yeah. And, it, and it's so freaking simple. How, how could I have been deceived for so long? And how can, and here's the, here's the one that I want to throw at you right now, is how can the deception still be going on to this day with more intensity of... Mm. So take us through that journey and how you feel and, and all, the, all the different processes you've been through, the emotional processes and where you're at now. It's crazy, isn't it? I think um, I had the moment where Mel had gone off and had her own health journey. She's had some issues and she got herself really quite fit. And she'd never really been an athlete at school, but she started to, to run and she enjoyed it, joined a local running group, did the local park run 5K on Saturday morning, and then moved up and moved up and was encouraged to do a half marathon. And she did it in a really good time. And... She used to say to me, come out, this is before I'd sort of started to heal, come out with me. And because we thought then the answer to losing weight is, is exercise. Get off your ass. Stop eating so much shit and get it and get it. And we all know now there's so much to it. Life is a jigsaw and there's lots of pieces. But I couldn't do that because when you run, I, I was in no state to run. I looked back, I didn't see myself as I looked in the mirror. I saw myself in my mind's eye, this young slim guy I used to play soccer and do taekwondo. Um, and she, she asked me to come and do a 5K, and I was like, yeah, I'll do a 5K. But then I realized I couldn't because, like Paula Radcliffe in my book, when she was the famous marathon runner, she actually had to stop and defecate. She suffers with IBDs as well. She had to stop and defecate and went on to win the London Marathon. And when you run, a lot of people don't know this, some people don't, but it, it stimulates your bowel. So a lot of people get runner diarrhea. And I, I'd, I'd run for 100 meters, and it started to things so i'd be worried that i'd be with this group of people i have to run off and you know i'll be in a, in a bush somewhere so how did it affect me I, i'll tell you what it did do it made me angry when, what happened was i cut out those two things the sugar and grains so i looked at labels vegemite 
hydrolyzed wheat protein, get rid of it. So I cut out those things and I was very strict. I started to feel amazing. I looked so much better. I looked younger, I looked 15 years younger probably uh, over a period of months. And I went to see my gastroenterologist and I walked in and he looked up and he looked again. He went, oh my God, what have you done? I said, well, you told me that diet wouldn't affect my outcome, but I had to just try that out. So I did. So this is what I've done. And at the time I'd lost, I'd lost heaps and heaps of weight. I was feeling healthy. I was starting to exercise again. And I'd come off all the medication that he'd given me. Over a period of time, I'd just, you know, I'm not stupid. I'd just gradually tapered it off. And I'd come off it all. And I hadn't taken anything. I haven't taken anything since. And he got really angry, really confrontational. And it put me on my back foot. And he was saying, like, well, you can't do that. You can't just come off. The medication I prescribed. I said, Well, I fucking am. <laughs> and hello, it's my body. And look, you just said, How look I good? And I feel great and I'm sleeping well and I'm feeling good and my relationships are better. And I'm not, I still had the damage psychologically about looking for toilets because even my journey to work, I'd allow myself an extra hour every day in case I had to stop at servos. So if there was a queue on the freeway for an accident one day, I'd be down the the emergency lane coming off looking for a server uh, for a servo just where I can bolt out. It was it was a nightmare living like that under that pressure. But so I still had that psychological damage at the time because I'd been invested in survival. But physically I was okay. And yeah, he got angry. So I walked out and I haven't seen him since. Uh, I had a colonoscopy since with someone else just to I didn't want to have it, but I just wanted to be sure that there was no inflammation and I haven't been back and I haven't had inflammation. I haven't had issues. And I developed a series of other coping strategies. So how do I feel? I felt angry. I realized that there are some amazing doctors out there, some of whom have become lifelong friends. Um, and I'm talking about people like Asim Ahotra. Hi, Asim. How are you, buddy? And Sally Price and various. There's lots of others and you all know who you are and you've become a big part of my life. But I did realize... And I suppose like in my career and probably like you, you know, going back to when you were on the tours and, and being a chef, there's good and bad. There's people who love it and don't love it. And there's people in the police force who love it and do it vocationally for their community. And there's other people who probably have a different motivation. And I realise that there's a lot of doctors who probably have a different motivation to actually making people better. I started to realize the influence. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.